Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why those anxious human beings walk about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Perhaps it just might be that they have no heavenly father like who cares for you and me. That's good, isn't it? I like it. It's simple. In other words, if the birds can talk, they'd say, man, those humans must be in a real mess. (laughs) But the fact is God cares for us much more than them. Hi, welcome to the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. You know, Corey Ten Boom once said that worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strengths. In today's episode, my former teacher and good friend, as well as one of our past His Hill directors, Bill Bushhouse, will lead us in a devotion from Matthew chapter 6. And in doing so, reminding believers in Christ that we are not to be distracted or captivated by the trials of life, But in every situation, we are to be seeking Jesus. In this passage, we will also find that this is to be a daily reality and not just a one-time fix. It's a lifestyle. I believe this devotion to be a very timely reminder. With all that has gone on in the last two and a half years, things like COVID along with its mandates, cancel culture, the possible reversal of Roe v. Wade, which has riled up like never before those who support abortion. We are experiencing the worst inflation seen in decades, highest gas prices ever, and the war in Ukraine. We need to stop for a minute and be reminded that our hope and security is not found in anyone or anything else but Christ alone, who never leaves nor forsakes. So join us in this study from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Well, this year, 2022, I've already had the opportunity of celebrating three anniversaries. My 69th year of life, my 41st year of marriage, and somewhat of a memorable one, 50 years uh, confined to a wheelchair. At age 19, I was in a car wreck, uh, paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, just say that, that in those 69 years, 50 years, 41 years of marriage, there have been plenty of opportunities to uh, fear. Plenty of temptations to uh, be anxious and whether they be financial uh, straits or physical disabilities or relations, troubles uh, with relationships, uh, various types of trials. But the Lord has been faithful. The Lord has been faithful. I want to share with you today uh, from Matthew chapter 6. So if you're near your Bible, you could pause this and get your Bible if you want to. Pull it up on your device. We're going to look at Matthew 6, and I'm going to begin in verse um, uh, 25 of Matthew 6 and verse 25. In this section we're going to look at, Jesus gives one command, just singly one, and the command is this, don't be anxious. Do not be anxious. So reading through this, I've sort of noted over the years as I jot down, read my Bible, jot down notes, 
I've seen here seven reasons not to be anxious, and I, I think they're good reasons, and they have helped me. They've helped me uh, very much. Just before we jump into verse 25, look, uh, here's the context. Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Don't live for the temporal, live for the eternal. So when we're living for the temporal, it's then that the anxieties uh, become more real. So he said, don't lay up treasures in heaven. And then he says this uh, in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or love the one and hold to the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve the eternal and the temporal. Uh, you cannot. He's not saying you could hold on to one. We can't be uh, um, just overwhelmed with the desire to get financially stable, physically whole, that our families work perfectly. If, if we're just all wrapped up in those temporal things, I think we'll be full, full of anxiety. I have. So beginning in verse 25, I think I see in verse 25 uh, the first reason not to be anxious. The first reason not to be anxious. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious. For your life, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or shall, what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and body than clothing? There's your first question mark. Most of these reasons we're going to look at end of the question mark. Is not your body more than life? Right? More than food? Body more than clothing? But here's what he's saying. Who gave you your life? Well, God did. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were knit together in the womb of your mother, and he knew you. He knew you. Who gave you your body? With all its frailties, all its skills and abilities, God did. Well, listen, is the one who gave the body not going to give you the clothing for it? Is the one who gave the life not going to provide for it? That's silly, isn't it? It'd be like if I um, had a nice new, uh, brand new truck sitting out in the uh, yard, and I said to my son, son, I've got you a brand new truck for graduating college. He said, oh, Dad, thank you. And I said, but I'm not giving you the keys. I don't, I'm just, you know. What good is it? He's, and the guy who gave the truck, he just wants to give. He's going to give the whole thing, right? God who gave the life is going to take care of that life. God who took care of the body is going to clothe that body. That's a great reason not to be anxious. He's already given you the greater gifts. He'll give you the lesser ones. In verse 26, I see reason number two. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your fa heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? Question mark. And the answer is what? Yes, God, our Heavenly Father, values His children more than all creation, more than all creation. God is good and God is sovereign. He's working all things together for our eternal well-being. We're of much more value than the birds. And I'll do this because I live in a nice little place. I'll sit out and watch the birds and think, man, it's amazing. They're beautiful. I saw the other day, sitting on my back porch for the first time this season, a painted bunting. If you've never seen one, look it up online. They're beautiful, and it's amazing. A uh, multicolored bird. Then we have cardinals and dove and all, all kinds of wonderful-looking birds. But God loves his children his, more than all that creation. 
Is he not going to care for that creation? He will. He'll take care of us. He really will. I've had financial troubles as an early uh, young Christian before I was married, and, and those were pressures. Those were real, genuine pressures. But I, the Lord was gracious to begin to teach me at uh, uh, an early age as a Christian that there's no reason to be anxious. There's no reason to be anxious. So let's keep moving on here. I think verse 27 is uh, our third reason not to be anxious. And why are you asked, excuse me, and which of you by being anxious can add a single cubit to his life question mark, right? He's, he's asking you, he's quizzing us, he's interrogating us and asking us, in this sense, here's the thing, worry can't change a thing. Which of you, if you're if you're five foot ten and wish you were seven foot so you can play in the NBA, well, worrying about it isn't going to make you taller, right? Me worrying about I'd like to get up and walk or I'd like to you know go out and run, worrying about that isn't going to make it happen. Worrying cannot change a thing. Worrying can only worsen the situation in that you're all confused. We become anxious. We go to various degrees. Uh, trying to accomplish what we cannot accomplish, and we get filled with anxiety. Which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Hmm. I'm worried about when I'm going to die. Well, you can't change it. You can't change it. So these are good reasons, aren't they? They're rational reason, reasons. They're reasons that uh, the Lord Jesus himself gives undergirding that singular command, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. The fourth reason not to be anxious from this passage is Matthew 6, verses 28 through 30. And he says this, And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he, much, <clears throat> will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? This is very similar to the birds of the sky reason, but there's a big difference here by the way he, um, by the way he ends it. He says, you, O ye of little faith, O ye of little faith. You look out there and the grass grows and the grasses around here, I, I love wild grasses. They grow and they give these beautiful uh, purple blooms, purple seeds, and the wind blows and these large fields of grass wave and two weeks they're gone. And if God can make something so beautiful, so wonderful, so essential to the, at least in our place, to the livestock, and then takes it away in just a matter of months, or weeks in some cases. The temporal he cares for, how much more the eternal. The eternal God who is creator of all is intimately concerned for all his creation. When Jesus says, O men of little faith, he's giving us an entry-level unbelief, right? Just flat out unbelief. Why are you worried? I don't believe God will care for me. I mean, look at the root, look at the heart of a thing, and we have to say, 
I'm afraid, I'm anxious, I'm worried because I don't trust I have a good father, I don't trust I have a good shepherd, right? All these things. Will he lead me? Will he guide me? Will he provide for me? Questions upon questions that the evil one puts into us and that our own mind comes up with. This, O ye men of little faith, ye of little faith, is not only entry unbelief, but as I see it, it's a vote of no confidence in God. It's a vote of no confidence in God saying, no, I, I don't have confidence. Because faith is confidence, right? Confidence in God. O ye men of little faith, O ye men of little confidence in God, why can't we trust him? So don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Our next uh, reason not to be anxious, I think it's number five, uh, is found in the first part of, cha- of verse 32. Um, it starts in verse 31, but the reason is in verse 32. Do not be anxious. There's the command again in verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? And here's the reason not to be anxious. Ready? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Stop. <laughs> wow, what a rebuke. He's saying, You are a Christian. You're testifying or trying to testify to the world that you have a heavenly Father who cares for you. You're testifying that the world that you have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for you, who now dwells in you even, and you are saying, hmm, I don't know if he cares for me. That Unbelief, that behavior is not reflecting the, the testimony of a Christian. It's what the, characterizes the Gentiles, the unbelievers, right? In that culture, in that time, the dogs, right? That's how unbelievers think. That's how unbelievers go about their lives. Always anxious, always worried. Uh, these things, the Gentiles yearly don't. don't. I'm going to hold off uh, at the end of verse... Um, thank Well, no, I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on. Our next, uh, number six, our sixth reason not to be anxious in verse 32, the end part is, is really one of my favorites. All these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. You see, God's not ignorant. God's not blind. He who made the eye can see. He knows. He, uh, leads our path, he guides our path, he scrutinizes our path according to the Psalms. He knows our sitting down and our lying up. He he knows more about it than we know about us, and he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways, intimately acquainted. And so God knows what you need. You think you need a spouse? Well, God knows that. Don't worry about it, right? Why, if you're still single... Use the time to seek Christ. Know Christ. Don't seek, don't seek a spouse. Don't think that's going to make you whole. You need to be separated from one, you imagine? That's a lie. It's not going to make you happier. You need a better job. You need to have this healed or that healed. Whatever it might be, you need to move. None of that is true. If it is true, God knows what you need. right? God knows what you need. He knows that. And our Heavenly Father will provide. One of his names in the Old Testament is 
we know, is Jehovah Jireh. God is my provider. God is my provider. So your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, that you need all of these things. I'm going to skip verse 33 because I want to leave you with um, the positive admonitions. Okay, what do we do? If we do not be anxious, what, what do we do? So I'm going to skip on down to verse 34. I'm going to look at um, the seventh reason not to be anxious. Seventh reason not to be anxious. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. At least we can say amen to that last sentence, right? Each day has enough trouble of its own. The, the reason we should not be anxious is that anxiety gets our eyes off the present and into the future. When we begin living in the future, over which we have no knowledge, no control, nothing, then we become anxious. And we not only become anxious about the future, we mess up the present. Because we cannot exercise faith, we cannot walk by faith, when we're not trusting God for tomorrow. Does that make sense? In other words, if we're walking by faith, faith is always in the present tense. Faith is in the present. I live my life today. Take up your cross daily and follow me, right? Take up your cross daily and follow me. But if today I'm anxious about tomorrow or fearing about what may be the consequences of yesterday even, I miss the present. And it's only the present that you have. It's only in the present that you can obey Jesus Christ, manifest the life of Jesus Christ. Only in the present. Uh, and that's the beauty of, of the Christian life, really. Is that day by day, moment by moment, I can yield my mind, will, my emotions to the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of that day, say, it was not I, but Christ. So there's your seven reasons. Seven reasons not to be anxious. Um, let, me, uh, let me review them real quickly. Uh, the first reason is in verse 25, he who gave the life will sustain both. You gave your life and your body will sustain them. Second reason in verse 26, God, our Heavenly Father, values his children. God is good and sovereign. He's working all things toward our eternal good. Verse 27, third reason not to be anxious. Anxiety won't change a thing. It'll only mess you up. The fourth reason is found in verse 28 through 30. God, he's creator of all, is intimately concerned for all his creation. Don't be one of the men of little faith. Don't be a man who puts no confidence in God. The fifth reason not to be anxious, found in verse, the first part of verse 32 Excessive concern for the temporal is characteristic of an unbeliever who has no heavenly father to care for them. And then the last reason, uh, excuse me, the sixth reason is God is well aware of our need, second part of verse 32. And then the seventh reason not to be anxious is in verse 34, anxiety gets our thoughts off the present into the future. Okay, uh, with Kelly's permission... I'm going to quote a little poem. It's a funny little poem, but I like it, and I remember it. And it's on one of those plaques there that are laying down, but I've got it memorized. Here's how it goes. Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why those anxious human beings walk about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, 
Perhaps it just might be that they have no Heavenly Father like who cares for you and me. That's good, isn't it? I like it. It's simple. In other words, if the birds can talk, they'd say, man, those humans must be in a real mess. But the fact is God cares for us much more than them. Here's what we want to do now. We want to shift gears a little bit. I want to give you three um, positive things. Three positive things. What do we do then? Is there any... How do we correct this? The first is, is right here in the text. It's in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. There's a command, right? There's a positive command. Negative command, don't be anxious. Positive command, seek first his kingdom. In the simplest terms, there's present and future realities to the kingdom of God. But in the present tense, where I live right now, I believe when he says seek his kingdom and his righteousness, it means Uh, Jesus Christ reigning in me right now. In other words, his kingdom, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Jesus, reign in me, rule in me. And if he's ruling in you, right, if he's ruling in you, he's having his way in the present. But if we're all worried and messed up, our hearts and minds are not going to be on what the Lord wants us to do right now. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I think this is the working out of his righteousness, Not the positional righteousness that we all have in Christ, but the working out of that, right? Seek his righteousness. Seek a life that manifests the very righteousness of Christ that is yours through him, right? For if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. He made him, Jesus Christ, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, right? In Romans 8, it says that um, you are no longer in the flesh but in the spirit, that the requirements, the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled through you. So we're not lawless people, so we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We seek to do the will of God through us today. I'm seeking that. I want that. Lord, I delight to do thy will. I delight to do thy will. So the first thing is seek. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. You do that by listening to God in his word, by being with God's people, by calling upon the name of the Lord, by finding a good community. By that I mean a church community where you trust the pastor, his leading, his doctrine. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. The second thing is found over in Philippians. Uh, Well, I want to go to 1 Peter first. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to take a second to turn over there. But this has to do with, with humility. It connects um, our anxiety with humility. And the more I thought about it, the more I, I, I think I, I saw the connection. Uh, he, he says this in verse 6 of chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourselves, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting, right? In other words, you could read it this way. Humble yourselves by casting. How do I humble myself, Lord? What does this mean when I say humble myself? Humble yourself by casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Isn't that amazing? He connect, To me it is. He connects uh, anxiety with, with pride, arrogance, lack of humility. Well, why is that? Because who is God when I quench the Spirit? Well, I am. I'm saying God doesn't care for me. 
and I'm putting myself, my mind, my thoughts, my meditations, I'm putting them above God, which is the very definition of pride and arrogance. But he says, humble yourself. Just bring yourself under God and stop worrying. Listen, casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. In fact, uh, my New American Standard says, cast all your anxiety upon him. All your anxiety. And leave it there. And leave it there. Don't reel it back in. So this is a great admonition, isn't it? To humble yourselves. Think of it this way. I am being arrogant if I am anxious about what I think God may or may not do. Uh, because I'm saying he doesn't care for me. So first thing, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Second thing, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Who knows, the very thing you're anxious about, he may want to do for you. He may want to do for you. Um, I remember once my little daughter, Emma, we all got up from a nap, and Ellen had made some uh, chocolate chip cookies, and, and she made them mainly for the children. I indulged myself, of course, also. But um, I came out there, and she rarely did this, but she just sort of threw a little fit. You know, I want a cookie. And I looked at her, and I was probably a little sterner in those days, and I said, Emma, you're not getting anything with that attitude. Well, the very thing she was fussing and anxious and demanding was the very thing her mother had prepared for her and I desired to give to her. But with that attitude, could I reward it with a cookie? A simple example, but I, and I think it, um, I think it's it's a good one. I think it's a simple one and a good one. And finally, turn over to um, to Philippians chapter four. Yeah, that's a good, that'll be a good one to end with. So uh, seek first His kingdom, right? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. But in Philippians, it tells us this. You're you're familiar with the passage, Philippians four. Uh, verses 6 through 7. Philippians 4, verses uh, 6 through 7. Great command here. Listen. Be anxious for... You fill in the blank. You know the answer, don't you? Uh, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. There it is again. Very similar. It says, don't be anxious for it. Pray about it. Ask God. Again, the very thing you're anxious about, he may want to do and give for you. The very things he's laid on your heart are the very things he may want to do, but he may be asking you to wait. Just wait. Wait on the Lord. Trust his word. Be patient. But don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. So if we can, I think it is through this prayer, like it says, but by prayer and supplication, I think that's for me, very similar with casting your cares upon him. But listen, what happens when that happens? Well, the total opposite of anxiety. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds. Your hearts and your minds. Boy, that's where anxiety exists, isn't it? In your hearts and your minds. So the, so the, so the negative command that we looked at, the abstain from command, the prohibition, if you please, uh, from Matthew 6 was don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. 
the recommendations, the commands that our Lord Jesus gives um, to be uh, the cure for this, if you please. The cure is seek ye first his kingdom. Let Jesus Christ rule and reign in you. And secondly, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Don't be so arrogant as to think he doesn't, as to think you've got to take matters into your own hands. And then finally, again from this great passage in Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let all your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I just want to take a second and pray for you all. Heavenly Father, I don't know who's listening or will listen, but I do believe that whoever that might be um, has needs, because we all do, and that there is something they're anxious about or something they're tempted to be anxious about. I pray, Father, that um, you would strengthen their hearts by grace. I pray that you would work within them by your Spirit the supernatural strength to be able to cast their cares upon you, seek your kingdom, seek your rule and reign in them, and that they would they would just be able to pray this through and come to your peace, Lord. I pray that nothing would rob them of your joy, of your peace, and your rest. And I ask this with thanksgiving through Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the His Hill Podcast, featuring our host, Kelly Doherty and Bill Bushhouse, a previous director and longtime friend of the Hill. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Bill this week. We are almost through our first week of scholarship camp, and this week has been a wonderful kickoff to the summer. The sun is blazing, the counselors are thriving, and the campers are having a blast. Please keep praying that Christ would be shared and seen here this camp season and that the campers would be open and ready to soak up the truths they receive throughout the week in chapels, devotionals, and activities. Remember to tune in next week for another episode of the His Hill Podcast. And remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. We've been telling the campers through camp songs this week to be strong and courageous because Jesus has conquered it all. And he has. Once again, you've been listening to the His Hill Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Lizzie, and we'll see you next week.